Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Renee here. Before we get into today's interview with Samira Ahmed, I want to put this on your radar. Samira is actually the author of the newest Ms. Marvel series. So if you are a Marvel fan, (laughs) we don't talk about it in this interview, but Samira and I recorded an additional interview about Ms. Marvel and her experience writing a comic book specifically for our online community. We don't have a Patreon but we do have a Mighty Networks community. It is $12 a month. Your first seven days are free. So you can come on in, check it out, see what it's all about, decide if it's something that you find worthwhile, which I have a feeling you will, because not only do we have exclusive content over there, we also have ways to connect with one another, folks in your physical area, but also uh, all kinds of online events. We've got a link in the bio to our virtual community Please check it out if you are interested in comic books, if you love what Samira has to say about revolutionary girls. We absolutely talk about Ms. Marvel as a revolutionary girl over in our community. And that is a video, not just a recording. So I hope you love this interview. Samira, I'm such a big fan and can't wait to see what else she writes. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Renee Powers here. I'm so, so excited to be sitting down with a repeat guest, Samira Ahmed, whose newest book, Hollow Fires, just came out. Samira, welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me, Renee. I'm so excited to be back. I feel like it's been both a really long time since we spoke, but also yesterday. Right? Time in the the pandemic has like gotten all funky. I don't know. Do you watch The Good Place? I have only watched a little bit of it. Okay. There's a, there's a, uh, we'll cut this out, but there's a... (laughs) um time uh, like metaphor that they use I was going to reference but never mind (laughs) so hollow fires when did this come out did this just come yesterday yesterday Tuesday May 10th yeah as we were as we were recording it came out yesterday I read it actually it was the first book that I sat down and read when I had COVID a couple of weeks ago (laughs) oh I'm so sorry you had COVID but I'm glad it could keep you company exactly it was the perfect kind of book it's it's a young adult book it's a thriller it is exactly what I needed to just like curl up in my couch and and have a friend with me is what it felt like so I would love to hear your kind of elevator pitch for Hollow Fires tell us about this new book so it's very hard for me to give an elevator picture of this book because there's so many parts, but, but Hollow Fires is a thriller. It's about uh, a murdered boy and a young um, woman who is a, a journalist, but editor of her high school newspaper, who wants to find out what happened to him because everyone seems to not care. The media doesn't seem to care when he initially goes missing. The police don't seem to care. And um, he's not someone that she knew personally, but he's in their community. He is he was a 14 year old son of Iraqi refugees. Um, Sophia, the young woman who's trying to find him is an Indian American Muslim. And she is starting to, to ask sort of big questions about, you know, whose story matters and whose stories get told and what does it mean for her as a journalist to report on these stories? And how does the, how does the storyteller or the journalist or whoever's writing that story 
how does their own bias influence the story? You know, as she's trying to figure out, well, I'm supposed to be objective and neutral and everything. And she's learning that, you know, maybe neutrality is a myth. So as she is, is trying to investigate this crime and figure out what happened to this young man, um, we also have um, Jawad's story being told by him as a ghost. And then there's a third element in this narrative, which are found documents. And those are also pieces of this bigger story. Some of them are interviews that Sophia, um, you know, when she's interviewing people about the murder, some are, you know, transcripts from, from news reports, some are tweets, some things are, you know, blog posts. So there's a variety of those found documents that kind of make the, you know, I, I, the story in my mind is sort of like this big puzzle and each of those is a little piece that helps you see the big picture. Yeah, it's definitely, it feels like a patchwork that comes together in the end. And I think it was such a unique way to tell this story. And it's such an important story to tell. And you're, I don't know, how does your mind work? I mean, you have, I've got three of your four books right here and they are all so different. (laughs) And yet they are so, the, the thread throughout them is you've got, characters that you just fall in love with and and these teenagers especially who are so smart so audacious and really have uh, just they know their place in the world while they're still trying to figure it out I want to know how do you get into the heads of these teenagers to write their stories and in in their voices um so I love writing in different genres or different types of stories but I always feel like I have this through line of the revolutionary girl. I call them stories of the revolutionary girl. And so I try to um, think about my characters, at least the main characters from that sort of point of view. And I, I, you know, I do get asked this question and in some ways, I'm not sure how I get into the mindset of a teen. I mean, I think, you know, obviously I was a teenager. I taught high school, but I think it's really important um, for me to, what I'm approaching these stories is to honor the the voices of young people. And that's how I try to approach um, these stories in my books. I try to show respect for who they are. I try to, um, you know, really understand them as three-dimensional human beings. I think a lot of times, you know, people hear the word teen and, you know, adults are very dismissive of, the thoughts and feelings and ideas uh, of young people and they don't really give them the respect that they deserve because young people have, you know, can be so thoughtful and brilliant and smart and intuitive. And I just try to honor that to the extent that I can. And I like what you said about Sophia trying to come to terms with the fact that maybe journalism isn't unbiased. Maybe they're maybe it shouldn't be either. Maybe, you know, her voice matters in this world and her perspective matters. One of the things that I love about Hollow Fires, I'm going to open up the first page because you, you give this glossary of intangible things and you define fact, alternative fact, truth, and lies right off the bat. And then every chapter or every new section starts with facts or alternative facts or truths or lies. What were you trying to get at with that? So I was sort of trying to, 
I love asking questions in my stories. And, you know, this is a story in a, in a lot of ways about journalism and like you said, objectivity and like what is the myth of neutrality. And so by putting these ideas out there, I wanted to challenge the reader a little bit to help us, you know, understand, um, you know, as Sophia says, like, I might, we might have all the facts, but that doesn't necessarily tell us the whole truth to, to get at the notion of, um, the BS of alternative facts, like somehow we live through this time where alternative facts became a thing and um, that became a term that people started to use instead of lies. And it's so interesting how the media is very, they're sh they shy away from the term lie, especially when politicians use it. And I think that's really playing into the hands of people who are trying to spread disinformation and to try to control the way people think or, or view situations like call a lie a lie. And so those little pieces um, are there just to challenge the reader a little bit to make them think um, about what questions those might, you know, those facts or truth or alternative facts, whichever is at the start of those chapter, you know, what does it make you think of? Like, does it make you question the statement that you've just read. And it's sort of putting you in the place of Sophia because she's also questioning a lot of things as she's working her way through, you know, her senior year in high school and having a crush and trying to figure out what she wants to do. Um, but also then trying to solve a murder, trying to figure out what happened to this boy who went missing. And, you know, there's one, um, I think one of the, I don't have my book right in front of me, but one of the statements I think that starts one of the chapters is the same statement. I think it's the statement, um, this statement is false. Mm -hmm. And I write how that can be both the truth and a lie. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, it's just, I want us to question how we view things. And that's why I put those, those statements into the book. Yeah. I loved that. I loved the way that, you know, every kind of section is introduced with this you're forced to kind of look at your own reflection and and consider okay well what is my truth like what what is objective here what is objectivity I don't know I just feel like in a young adult as a a space in a library right gets kind of poo-pooed as something that's not important or not highbrow right mm -hmm. but there's so much and in all of your books there's so much that you bring up and it's one of those your writing I'm going I'm just talking in circles here it's because I love your writing so much oh but thank you <laughs> your writing is something that I wish I would have had as a teenager because it is treated with so much respect and you recognize how brilliant teenagers are and how much power they have mm -hmm. you don't shy away I mean I, I want them to I want them to harness their the power of their voices even more I mean that's why you know when I was I used to be a high school teacher and I was a very tough teacher I was probably too hard but I would always like to tell my students I, I'm challenging you because I believe that you can do it so I've seen what you can do and I, I know how much more you can achieve and just how thoughtful and smart you are mm -hmm. and I just I do get so irritated when people feel like, well, young adult literature is not erudite enough. Mm -hmm. um, as if there's not 
plenty of adult literature that is, you know. Right. There's fluff in every genre. Exactly. For every exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and pe- people want that. I mean, sometimes that's what you need to read, you know? So there, I just think that people somehow who don't read young adult literature and who don't write young adult literature think that young adult writers are somehow talking down uh, to kids or that it's immature writing. But if you try to do that, no kid would read the book because kids are wise to (laughs) being talked down to or Mm -hmm. being treated, you know, as if they're, they're immature. So, okay. So this is a thriller and I read a lot of thrillers, adult thrillers, new adult thrillers. I can imagine this is probably a leading question. I can imagine it's difficult to write thriller for a younger audience. One, something that's not super salacious. That's not super gory. 95% of the thrillers I read have some sort of sexual assault in them. You know, it's like, yeah. I mean, I would never touch that because I, I really don't like to use sexual assault as, as a tool in, in the work, you know, yeah. especially for young people. I feel like it's so pervasive in our culture. Cause there's, I mean, I, one of the things I was doing when I was writing this book uh, is, you know, I listen to true crime podcasts. I assume you do. A lot of mm-hmm. people do. There's some of the most popular ones that are out there. And it's interesting now because I feel like more true crime podcasts are becoming fictionalized for TV. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that's very interesting. But this book in some ways came out of me asking questions about that because I think there's there's some ethical conundrums to true crime. Yes. And Sophia is sort of asking those questions like she is kind of in our place right as the reader we are more akin to her than we are to Jawad who is a ghost but I always think about the victim in these these murder stories you know we some podcasts do a good job of trying to really help us understand who this person was you know whose life was taken away by hate or you know whatever and I just feel like you know virtually everyone I know can name at least one serial killer, but we can, we almost can never name their victims. Yeah. And that's like so tragic to me because, you know, that person had a life, they were loved, they had hopes and ambitions and wishes, they had hobbies, they were in other people's lives. And it's just so sad that we have made this, there's this giant industry around true crime, but we don't, I feel like we just don't get enough about the victims. Amen. And that's one of the things this book is looking at. And that's why I wanted to have Jawad's story as part of this. I wanted his voice in there as a ghost because I just felt like we want to hear his story too. And Sophia's, inve- you know, thinking about all of these things, like whose story gets told and how does the media cover stories? Like why do some missing people get a ton of media attention and some don't. And we know the answer is mostly because they're white. Mm -hmm. I'm like, there's, I mean, I I was thinking or looking at trying to find stories of, you know, there are so many indigenous women who have gone missing, black trans women, and we don't hear these stories. And same with, you know, when, if it's an immigrant kid, if it's a refugee, those stories just somehow don't make the front page in the way Um, a young white woman going missing does. And I'm not saying that I don't want her story covered. I do. I want all of these stories to get some attention. So I don't know, all of that stuff kind of went into this book. Yeah, It was an interesting challenge. 
Yeah. And writing for a, a younger audience, I can imagine makes it even more difficult. I do want to just take a quick moment to shout out our, um, other podcasters who, uh, Marikita and Natalia, who did a whole episode conversation on the whiteness of true crime as a genre. It is fantastic. I will link it in the show notes. So this is your fourth book. This is my fourth YA, but my fifth book overall, because I've okay. also written a middle grade novel. Okay. So your fourth YA, how has the writing process and your relationship to the characters, how has that evolved over time as you kind of continue to write? So my first book, I really was a pantser. Like I basically, I didn't plot it out very much and uh, it took me a really long time to finish. And with each book, I've become, you know, more of a plotter. Like I have a better sense of what I'm doing before I go into it. And I think that has really helped me a lot. I, I feel like Hollow Fires is my best book. And I think because my writing has matured, I, I feel like as a writer now, I can see the story more. I don't know how to, I don't know how to explain this exactly, but it's like with each book that I've written, it's hard to explain because it's, it's going to sound like, you know, it's going to sound weird, but I can, with Hollow Fires, I was able to see the story in a sort of more holistic way. It was just it's it's very hard to explain. I mean, did you, did you ever see the movie uh, Arrival? No, I haven't seen that one. Okay. <laughs> um, it's also, it's based on a short story, but it's basically about aliens coming to Earth and trying to teach us their language, but their language doesn't have any, isn't limited by time. Gotcha. Uh, like ours is. It's not linear in, in the same way. And the person sort of ends up kind of figuring it out. And it, it's, Something about the story is, cl- is clicking for me more now. I, I don't know how to describe this. I'm sorry, this is like a terrible answer. Because no. this is, I, I have a hard time explaining it exactly, but I, I, I plot more, but I feel closer to the story in a way. Um, I think with the characters, I always try to have, you know, really three-dimensional, fully fleshed out characters and you know, I always take a lot of character notes. So I know things about the characters that aren't in the books. You know, I mean, I'm writing about high school kids. So I'll know, for example, this kid is on the tennis team, even that, if that never appears in the story, or I know what their schedule is at school. Then, you know, maybe we never talk about what foreign language they're taking, but I know what language they are taking. So I just like to have a, a sense of the characters. And I, so I try to build, um, you know, build the world that way, because I think what I always say is the story comes to me first um, with a character and a question. Mm. And so I, I build out from there. Mm. You know, you say that Hollow Fires is your best book. I would also say, I think it's your most vivid book yet that I have read. Like I said, I haven't read Love, Hate, and Other Filters, but Internment, Mad, Bad, Dangerous to Know, I've recommended to everybody. Um, but this one just feels the most alive. <laughs> pun intended, since one of our characters is a ghost, <laughs> but it does feel the most of this moment and alive. And I, I just thought it was fantastic. Thank you. I mean, I tried to have, there's like, I, I feel like there's more of a texture to this book. I mean, I mm-hmm. love all of my books, but I, it's interesting because there's a ghost and one of the, the challenges for me was trying to make him feel like a real boy. Yeah. And I, 
I think I did that, <laughs> but part of it is by bringing in a little bit more of like depth of feeling and more just uh, the textures of the world that they, they live in, like the smells. And then, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's this whole reference to uh, residue left when you rip a piece of, of tape off the locker. This is an important little symbol in the book. And I feel like all of those kind of sensory details or those sensory observations, you know, make up the world we live in. And so I wanted to try to incorporate that more into the story. Yeah. It's a beautiful, lush, uh, realistic reading experience Uh, as a reader. I just thought it was, like I said, it was the perfect book to sit down and read in a day when you're sick. I don't want anyone to get sick, but um, I'm glad that it was able to keep you company. Exactly. (laughs) And everybody stay masked, get vaccinated. Um, Yes. We're still in this. Yes. I'm on tour right now and I'm masking everywhere, even though like terrifyingly, there's so many people not masking in the airport, but I'm masked, vaxxed, I'm boosted. Strongly encourage it. Well, fingers crossed for the rest of your tour. So this book is out now. Be sure to purchase it from your local indie bookstore, or you can click the link in our show notes and get it from bookshop.org. Samira, always good to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks so much for reading the book. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for Brownie Points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well, red woman is a dangerous creature.